The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Well, welcome to the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. The big thanks to our great friends at Napa Auto Parts and, of course, Race Fuels, who had a massive event at Mount Panorama for the 12 Hours of Bathurst and just last weekend, a huge one at Sandown. I'm Darren Smith. Thank you very much for those that have joined us for all 19 episodes and those that are just joining us for this one or somewhere along the line. Of course, you can catch up with all of our podcasts at all of your uh, local or your preferred podcast suppliers. Of course, Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, www.napaautoparts.com.au. The Napa Know How Academy is a free service to help improve your grassroots racing, your fitness, diet, mental well being. Boy, I need that. Press and media, social media strategies, and much, much more. We've got uh, Grant Rowley as part of the expert team helping us there as well with Bryce Fullwood full-time supercars racer looking forward to debuting his gen 3 racer in the next uh week or so fantastic to have you all on board and uh, if you're anything like my co-host tonight you've spent the entire weekend correcting me in all of my commentary gary o'brien welcome to episode 19 thank you daz and good uh good day to everyone uh well we've got to keep a check on you mate or else you just get out of control yeah, look, there's some some days you just got to uh, roll with what comes out of your mouth, and then the phone goes beep, beep, beep. <laughs> We've all beep. been a party to that at some stage, making blues. I so wasn't making blues. Pat- you were just fact checking me on stuff that I knew better yeah, about. Yeah, but you're not on your Pat Malone there. Don't worry about <laughs> that's it. That's right. Murray Walker made a very illustrious career out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We don't want you going down the same path, though. Yes, uh, big show tonight. We've got uh, lots Whoa. to catch up with um, after we have our uh, our special guest, and uh, it's fantastic to have this guy on board with us today. Yeah, way back in 1979, a brash yet eager teenager set up a small garage in Brighton, Victoria. It would be the start of a mattering journey that would last a lifetime and have him living the racing life we can only dream of in the United States of America. The performance business grew and ultimately he produced his own sports car, raced it and won a championship as a driver and another as the team owner and crew chief. He did it with the Python, a beautiful lookalike of the Shelby AC Cobra. In 2006, his customers included the great Michael Schumacher. Later, he campaigned the Python in the US and then acquired a McLaren M6B Can-Am car. So now he's on a quest to race both cars at as many American circuits as he can. There is really no words to describe our effervescent guests. So let us get George Vitovic to tell us his story. Well, it's it's a pleasure being here, Daz and Gaz. Or is it bloody Gaz and Daz? Well, Daz and Gaz, I've got no bloody idea, mate. (laughs) We're off to a great start, aren't we? He's uh, he's <laughs> slotted in my name before yours, Gary. I've never even been that disrespectful. 
Ladies and gentlemen, great to have George Vidovic. And, and and it is actually quite a special occasion because George is all the way on the other side of the world in, in California. So um, I'll give it away. It's 7 p.m. on a Monday night here in Melbourne. George, what's the time over in uh, in California? Mate, it is. Let's see now. 12.16 to be exact, mate. And I'm just right. slicing a bit of lemon. Well, hold on, mate. I'm just slicing a bit of lemon here for me, Corona. And as soon as I do that, I'll pop it in there and I'll Picked up the phone and I'm walking out to the uh, to the uh, Santa Monica apartment that I've got here in the lounge, and I'm going to sit down on my mid-century sofa, and then we're going to have a bloody chat about the United States and fucking motor racing, mate. Well, there we go. <laughs> All, already at, at minute number two, I'm going to have to edit something out. There we go. <laughs> George, oh, um, shit, great, sorry, great mate. I'm not supposed to do any no no cussing on the on the on the podcast, mate. No, that's right. No, no, we could try and keep it neat and tidy. The Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. We welcome you along, George. Um, I guess we've got to start. Yes, you are in California and you're, uh, for all intents and purposes, living the dream right now. But I would like you to throw your mind back and cast your mind right back to the very beginning where you first went to a racetrack and you went, boy, I've got to make this part of my life. And, uh, and where was that? And uh, and what was your first thoughts, and and what sort of transpired from there? Jesus, mate, um, I don't I, I don't think an hour's long enough for that one, uh, <laughs> mate. My my, I've I got to be honest with you. You know, the, the journey started way way back in the in a garage in Thornbury where I wanted to run one of my pythons, aka a cobra, at a race event. But before that, what had happened was I rolled up to Phillip Island one year with Maggie and a mate of mine, and we went there to watch the Mark Sports Car Race. And uh, I'm sitting back and I'm watching Mort Fitzgerald running his magnificent MGB, and I, I saw Tom Hutchinson in his car and Robin Bailey and, and a few other guys and Alan Burns, and I thought, geez, I can do this. This is bloody fantastic. They're old, old school sports cars and 240Zs and MGBs and sprites i thought this is bloody grouse i reckon i'll kick ass if i grab my python and build something special and race there with a v8 and that was my real real true experience at phillip island with mark sports car that's where i saw it all happening that's where i saw all the different classes there and walked the the pits and the paddocks and fell in love with what everyone was doing i thought mate this is easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> It certainly wasn't that, mate. When when the when the penny dropped, let me tell you. So you you mentioned your car, the Python. Let's take us back because your automotive journey. Let's put the motorsport journey aside for a moment. Your automotive journey started in your own workshop as a, as a as a as a guy getting his hands dirty, working hard, and uh, one day you went, you know what? I'm going to make some of these limited run Cobra replicas, and uh, uh, and that's you know that's where your well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's where that your heartbeat and your passion lay for many years. Yeah, look, it it did, mate. I mean, it's 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 a great story as far as I'm concerned, a great journey. I mean, the the passion came from a movie called Gumball Rally. I went to Clayton Driving many years ago, as as the listeners will probably know. A lot of the listeners will know that good old Clayton Driving was in North, on North Road, so I went there, saw a movie called Gumball Rally saw a, a blue streak sports car streak across the, the screen and, and I thought, what the hell was that? And lo and behold, I found out that it was an AC Shelby Cobra and I fell in love with the bloody thing and and uh, 
went to a, I mean, I'm running, I'm running this story really short, mate. It's a long bloody story, but I don't want to take up too much time on just telling you where it all started, but it started back in 79. Um, I, I started working from my dad's garage. I went to America by myself at a young, a young virile Australian amongst the American women there and spotted aunt's cobra replicas and bought one of their cars and bits and pieces on, and unbeknownst to me, they were going bankrupt and uh, I bought stuff that was pretty useless. And when I got back here, um, the stuff that I did get wasn't what I actually needed or wanted and wasn't right. So I started constructing my own car and, and I started working from dad's garage in Brighton in 79. So that's that's where it all started uh, in, in actually my father's garage in a one car garage in Brighton. So effectively, the car was, as you say, it's a replica of the AC Cobra. Where were the differences? Well, the differences were obviously from the original car to replica. Look, it's the most replicated car in the world, the AC Cobra. It's 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 it made such a such an impact on the sports car world through Carroll Shelby. It's just unbelievable as far as a replication of of a particular car. I mean, there are so many companies building it. But as far as my car was concerned, I mean, what we did compared to the original car was we ran a steel box section ladder frame chassis out of RHS and I ran an MGB front suspension on it and a Jag rear. And that's that's how the car Python vehicle started right from day one as far as um, the construction of the car. And it, and it basically copied very much the close construction of the Arns Cobra replica that Stephen Arns was building in San Francisco at the time. Um, you got to keep in mind, mate, I was, geez, guys, I'm trying to remember. I was 22 years of age, uh, didn't know much about um, engineering from from that point of view. So I, I sort of just pinched ideas from other people and just massaged the wheels, so to speak. So that's the difference from the original car. I mean, I wouldn't even want to compare my my construction back in 79 to the original car. But you got to remember, as I got older and the business grew and knowledge grew and people came on board and, and I got people to help us construct the car and design different things, it went from a steel box section chassis to a round tube with our own rear suspension design and our own front suspension design, hence the, the, the metamorphosis of Python Racing in 97, you know? So, George, there's the we're sort of jumping around the eras there. Let's... Um... Let's leave the door open on what became the South Melbourne GV automotive side of your um, your yep. business. Um, and yeah. I'm just going back through some some old articles and stuff uh, over the, over the weekend, and actually talking to some of your old mates at the round one of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships. And uh, and people are as foggy as you are about you know, the, the actual timelines and bits and pieces. But just it just brings a smile to their face that. Uh, in in the in the 90s this uh in mark sports cars which was you know as you said dominated by mort fitzgerald tom hutchins cantwell you know various others that yep. were on the scene yeah. there and yeah. uh and and in come this this cobra which you know unbeknownst to motorsport you'd already been up to the government and saying hey i want to do some there's some short run uh, manufacturing of cars as well yeah yeah look mate it's a it's a horrible look. You know, I'm passionate about Australia. I'm an Australian. I'm proud to be one. But, mate, don't get me started on the politics of the automotive industry in Australia, mate. It's it's diabolical, and we and I certainly don't want to rattle any cages or make people go. This guy, you know, this bit of bloke's a dickhead, and I'm far from that. 
but you know, um, you're absolutely right, mate. It's it, it, it's it's a sad state of affairs as far as the automotive industry is concerned in Australia with us. And, and we are, we're jumping around because my brain's thinking and thinking a, a lot faster than my mouth is speaking, guys. So you're just going to have to bear with me and I'll, and I'll use you guys to calm me down and redirect me in the proper direction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I said, we'll leave the door open on the GV Automotive. Let's let's yep. jump to jump to rolling your, your car that you built. You've just touched on you had your own rear suspension and your own design. Yep. Let's yep. move into when you, you rolled your car out of your trailer and you put it up against the, the others that were out there on the track at the time. Well, mate, you know what? Um, let me give you the first experience of me motor racing at Phillip Island with my car. Um, and it's not, and the story's been told to a few people and and only a handful of people that were close to me. And I'll tell you, and I'm going to expose this story to all the listeners out there. But, you know, I had this attitude of, you know, here I am bringing a replica Cobra with the historic value of an AC Cobra Shelby behind it, thinking that being a V8 and a Ford and, and all the glory of Ford, I'm going to kick ass and destroy the field in Mark's sports car. That was my attitude, you know. Uh, keep in mind, I was a total rookie at the time, never raced anything in my life except the car that I had built. I uh, didn't even race a go-kart, and I started very late in life in motorsport. I was probably, I think I was 38 years of age at the time. Get to Phillip Island. Um, we're running the car in practice. I think it was Friday or Saturday morning. I can't remember exactly, but I do remember going over Lukey Heights and throwing a rod through the side of the block. Um, and let me tell you, mate, um, I think <laughs> I did probably three or four laps that day. I didn't know what gear I was in. I didn't know what, 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 an apex was i did not what late braking was i had no idea where i was um all i knew that is when that rod went through the side of the block i was happy as a pig in shit because i just <laughs> didn't want to be going racing anymore and uh we and, and mate this is a true story as i as i as i sit here in my santa monica apartment talking to you blokes you're getting the the real deal story of how it all became and what had happened was I get, you know, the car gets rolled back to the, to the pit, to the garage at Phillip Island. Uh, Maggie's up talking to me going, what's going on? I said to Maggie, bugger this, I'm out of here. We jump in the car and we drive off. The boys have, I'm left the boys there with the car there and I'm driving back to Melbourne and she's going, calm down. Tell me what's going on. I said, Maggie, I've never meant, I've never felt fear as I felt in my life going over Lukey Heights down and i was just i was i was just frightened i maggie i don't want to do this anymore and you know what i love this woman to pieces she's been the crew chief she's been my rock for for 40 years and um she turned around and said you know what we haven't spent all this bloody money and all this bloody time for you to just walk away from this bloody car of you're going to get back in this bloody car and we're going to give it one more shot i said maggie i don't think i can do it um, so moving forward, we, we rebuild the car. Um, I calm down a little bit. We go to Winton and the boys are there with me at Winton and Maggie walks up to me. She goes, you know what, George, why don't you just jump in the car, cruise around a little bit, take your time. Don't, it doesn't matter where you are. Go down the back. Don't worry about it. Just plot along Winton. Don't even worry about the boys or anything. Uh, who's behind you in front of you just you know keep your nose and i thought to myself okay I'll, I'll give it one more shot 
And that was it, mate. I mean, when I came off the track, everyone's look, looking through the helmet, trying to see my eyes, whether I'm smiling or I'm crying or I'm, I'm fear. I've taken the helmet. I said, I bloody love this. This I'm having a ball out there. And this was there was 45 cars on the grid that that weekend. Um, you know, Alan Burns was there, and all the, all the usual suspects were there. Morton and Tom and Cant and Cantwell and the whole everybody that was running Bark Sports back then. And you know what? That's the that's the time that I fell in love with, and I thought I can do this. And and it, and we, I actually got best and fairest driver for the weekend, and climbed from forty. I think there was forty five cars on the grid, believe it or not, guys. To up, and I climbed up to about twenty ninth on the grid. So I was happy as a pig and shit, and and that's where it really started moving forward from that day on. Do you remember the, the you've, you've mentioned a couple of times there the guys that were part of. The, those early days do you remember those guys are they still in your life or are they are oh, you, are look, they moved really, on? you're you're funny you should say that um tom cantwell is just still in my life as far as me keeping in touch with him on i mean social media is the, is the deal guys i mean as you well know we're sitting here talking you know on fifteen thousand miles away and we're talking on podcast and you're sitting there in sunny victoria enjoying the the, the weather and i'm here talking to you so yeah, I, I keep in touch with Tom Cantwell on Facebook. I keep in touch with Richard. Uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Bedwell. Bloody Brett. 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 Bedgood. Brett Bedgood. Yeah, the, the Ballarat yeah. car salesman. Yep. Yep. I keep in touch with Brett on a regular basis. Um, uh, who else? Jesus. There, there is. Um, uh, what's his name? Bloody hell! I keep forgetting the bugger with the old with the older Cobra hat, the ex copper. Oh yeah, Michael Holloway. Yeah, Mike. Mike and I. Oh, he was. Your, on, you were his special guest at the awards dinner last night. Uh, last that's year. exactly. I was. I actually. That's where we caught up that night, mate. It was fantastic. Right. Look, it was just fantastic seeing everybody. But there was a lot, a lot, a lot of new faces there that I just didn't know, and it's really sad to see that the old guard's gone. You know, and it's also sad that I that I hear that sports cars aren't running in the state series championship as a category anymore because they can't get enough bloody cars on the grid. I mean, that's bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Let's leave that to one side. When I said that the old boys, I meant the guys that help you build the car in the shed, the guys that help you tow the car to and from the right. race meeting, your mechanics that, that were, that were with you on that yep. journey in the early days. Yeah, I do mate. Look, I'm, I'm in touch with David saw who's, who's a part of my life. Uh, Greg Wilkie, who's definitely a part of my life. Uh, they, they're the two major players that stuck by me and, and came to most of the race meetings. Um, Glenn Barnes sort of fell by the wayside. Haven't seen him for many, many moons. He was one of the early, early guys that came on board with Python Racing when the cars were when the car was silver and I was only running one car. Um, so I, I only probably get in touch. I've only I only know two of the boys from the from the. Oh, actually. Danny Gibbons, too, has been a part of my life and is still a part of my life. He works at a fiberglass company at the moment. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of guys, a handful of guys that I still keep in touch with that played with us back in the day, you know, definitely, mate. Just want to touch on the the, the shape, the, the Cobra, that one that you initially bought, the silver one, which is, let's say, what the evolution of what your your car looks like now it's it's a long way removed from that your car oh, is now a very yeah. very bespoke uh item yep. different to the different to the cars that you built that you were you know you 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 made um made a bit of a living out of down there yep. at south melbourne 
the the evolution um, and the the move initially with one car and then uh, Stephen Vines and the second car that came on board. Just step us through those first few years of racing and and yeah. the, the the development of your race car and your race team. Look, you, I'm I'm glad you asked that question because what basically happened was, um, as 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 Mark Sports Cars was growing and advancing, and as the years were changing, um, as you well know yourself, around 2000, the the Porsche Carrera Cup season or Porsche Carrera Cup category was falling by the wayside in the respect that some of the cars were no longer eligible for Carrera Cup and they were struggling to find somewhere to run. And that's when the 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 floodgate, so to speak, was was open to later model cars. I, I think that's when Mark Sports Car as a category changed forever when the Porsches were allowed to run with us and a lot of the old guard disappeared. In saying that, um, as more modern cars started coming into the fray in sports cars, and, and it went from Mark sports car to sports car, we started seeing things like Audi R8s running with us. We started seeing uh, Ferraris running with us, uh, of course, Porsches. Uh, then the uh, Trigero, uh, uh, was it, Baz? Um from the Maserati boys, the Pirelli guys. Yeah, the, the brought... Ghibli, the Ghibli, the guys at Trapeo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that happening, um, one of the one of the strategies I had or one of the mindset changes that, that happened to me was it was really uh, uh, and and where it hit great greatly with me is when we stood back in from the dummy grid and, and looked into the dummy grid, all of a sudden you see all these modern shaped cars then and then all of a sudden amongst the modern shaped cars was this vintage-looking Cobra, which just stood out like uh, dog's balls because it didn't match the modern modern era of the cars on the grid when sports cars started evolving, if that makes some sense to you. Absolutely, So yeah. I, I made a conscious decision that we had to steroid the car a little bit. We had to keep the essence of an AC Cobra, keep the essence of a Cobra-looking car, but we would we needed to make it a little bit more modern by giving it an aero pack, you know, diffuser in the back, a higher wing, front spoilers, side pods. We made it six inches wider. So we 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 did some really strange and quirky things in the early time of, of the development of the car. And it basically started in around 2006 when the changes started coming. And then 2015 when we, when was the finish of the of the design of the car that I've got today that's in the United States here with me now. Just um, harking back a little bit before that, did you mentioned me, me that you raced Victorian circuits, obviously. Did you go into state? And the, the reason I ask is because I can remember some meetings at Sydney Motorsport Park and there was a couple of pythons running there. Oh, mate. <laughs> you, you got Jesus Christ, boys, you're going to get me started. You know, it, it's funny you should say that. We... Um, in the early years, when when the car was silver and I only had one car, we started dabbling in interstate races. We ended up going to Malalar one year, and the following year, which was the most bizarre year that we did, was we ended up going to um, Jesus help me out here, guys. The, the the racetrack in Sydney. What is it called again? Sydney Sydney Motorsport Park these days yeah, was Eastern Creek. Was Eastern Creek. There you go. Yeah. We were invited to run at Eastern Creek. 
But I've got a legend there. I've got a um, a picture. I, I need to find it somewhere, and it's just the old-fashioned, you know, photograph um, of my car on the grid with 27 clubmans. <laughs> and that I was the and because that was the only place they could put us. They didn't want us with any other category, so they threw us in with the clubmans. And I ended up racing against that famous bloody Aussie. Um, he had a, a Jim Murcott. <laughs> Jim in a, in Murcott a Super Seven. The, yeah, and I I was gridded up with him. So and there's a great shot of the of the grid. Uh, sitting on on the on the front straight, uh, someone took it from the top of the uh, top of the grand uh, top of the pits down, and there's my car amongst all these bloody lotuses at Eastern Creek. It was ridiculous, but they were the early years where all of a sudden this Cobras showed up. It's a replica. It's not the real deal, and people were confused and, and class um, category like. Category managers were con- confused where to put me. And people said, well, it's not a real car. It's not a vintage car. We were going to let this bloke run, you know. Uh, go. And, when, like, and when you were chopping and changing conversations here, and I love it, I, it's all right, you'll 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 keep me straight. But it's when I approached Cams to accept my car as a Mark Sports car, and they said, we can't because it's a replica. I took the body off and said, well, there's the chassis. Do you accept it as a Python sports car? And they said, we do. We'll say, what the hell does the difference? What body's on it then? Yeah. You know? Right. Anyway, that's another fucking story. Yeah. So, um, no, the- no more F-bombs, George. No more F-bombs. And- Sorry, brother. I can't help. I get, I get too excited. Was the- what colour was the car when you came to Sydney? Silver. Silver. Always silver? Every time you race? Always down- silver. The colour changed in, in 2006. What colour did you go to then? Orange, bright orange. Okay. Because there was a guy who there was a there was at least a green one up here and and also the blue one that Ian Pretty Yes, mate. Those cars, those bloke like they were good mates of mine. One guy the um okay. The green one belonged to um oh, Jesus Christ, I'm really you you know, I wish I would have written notes down before I sat down and spoke to you guys because I really want to tell you the story because they're fabulous stories. Yes, did you know about the names? Did you know the green um, car? Did you know the, the guy that drove yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I did. The, uh, Ian Pretty owned the blue car, which was a Cobra replica that he built. And the other one belonged to um, the Tattersall guy who, who owned Tattersalls. That's right. Um, he sponsored uh, sports cars up here for quite a while. Correct, correct. Well, they were the... Those cars came after my car because I I want to I want to be proud of the fact that mine was the uh, mine was the car that opened the floodgates with cams to accept replicas in sports car racing, right? You know, so to speak. But one of them might pretty... have been actually a Taipan. Would it? Would that be? Does that ring a bell? Yes, there was a kit a kit company I think in New South Wales that called themselves Taipan to produce Cobra replicas. And to comply with all the emissions and Australian design rules, they try to bypass that by running uh, LPG gas V8s. Chevs, I believe, were they? That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, I told you Gazno's stuff, uh, George. He's he's right across yeah. here. He's, he's he's got you now. He's got you on the ropes. Well, he's, he's one of so he's the smart asses out of the group. Is he? <laughs> oh no, no, I'm the smart ass. He's the smart man. <laughs> Hey, can, hey, George, can I can I focus you in on that era where you went from one car to two? Stephen Vines, yeah. who was driving, I think he was driving the Cortina Sports sedan uh, out yes. of the Parada garage. 
that sort yes. of came to an end. And uh, Glenn Hastings went off and did national sports and ends with the yellow court. Yes. And then Stephen came along and you all of a sudden expanded to a two car race team. No, no, that's no? wrong. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Um, the story's fantastic, mate. And, and uh, you know, I, I hope I don't get sued with what I'm going to be telling you guys and, and throw people under buses. But, you know, I mean, I don't give a rat's ass about people's uh, people's feelings, to be quite that honest. That's your you limitations know. is over. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd suck it up and drink some concrete and harden the bloody hell up, you know. I was going to say the F-bomb, but I... Nah, don't. Like, no more F-bombs. No, I'm not doing it, mate. All right, relax, will you? Um, <laughs> What it, it's really look, it's fantastic. What happened was, uh, oh my god, you know, you got to remember, we we built the second. One of the reasons we built the second car is that that we were in the sports car, the V8 sports cars. Any V8 sports car was invited to be uh, a part of the support category with the V with the sports sedans at the inaugural race of a thousand years of Petit Le Mans in Adelaide. So that was one of the precursors or one of the catalysts that made me decide to build a second car. Now, the second car uh, was driven by Christian D'Agostin. That's the that's the uh, guy. Yes, who, sorry. Yep. Christian. But, 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 but the story goes back to Stephen Vines because what had happened was um, a man by the name, this guy is going to hate my guts after this if he hears this podcast, mate. Let me tell you, because I'm just going to give you some real controversial stuff to that tonight. Um there's a man by the name of Simon Frude who was the who was the Porsche Cup champion at the time that approached me to drive my car, and he was at that time he was a, he just just had finished driving Porsches and won the Porsche Carrera Cup, came and approached us and said we want to drive your car, I want to drive your car so we did a deal and he leased the car from it for from us and we supported him and we and he started racing it. One day he turned around and we, we went to Phillip Island and um, he was so he was struggling with the rawity of the car. You've got to remember these Porsche, half these Porsche guys don't know how to drive anyway, mate, because the Porsche drives itself half the bloody time with ABS and traction control. So let's face it, mate, you know, you don't nearly, you don't really have to be that talented to drive a bloody Porsche. Um, see what I mean? I'm going to be controversial. Anyway, he, he jumps in the bloody car, goes, uh, goes, uh, drives it around on Friday, freaks out, turns around to Maggie uh, and drives it into the garage and says to Maggie, um, I'm not driving this car. It's dangerous as all hell. It doesn't stop. It doesn't go around corners. I saw God at Lukey Heights. I'm going home. Maggie goes, what do you mean? She goes, he goes, no, nah, I don't want to know about it. Packs his gear and he leaves. Maggie walks up me and I said to Maggie, where's, jo where's Simon? She goes, he's gone. He doesn't want to drive the car. He thinks it's dangerous. And he said, if you, and he said to me, and if you love, if you love George, you won't let him drive it. He'll kill himself in it. So here I am with a couple of guys. We've got two cars at Phillip Island, one driver. We're going, what the hell are we going to do? So, well, and I had a great, I had a great rapport with the, the Parada brothers because they were hot rodders and I knew them from their hot rodding era. I knew I had met, uh, Steve a couple of times um, so I said bugger this hold on Mag I'll be back in a minute I'll run over to Steve and I said listen Steve uh, mate would you be interested in driving my Cobra and he goes what do you mean I said well I've got two cars here I've got one driver I need someone to drive the brand new car that we had just built car number 99 will you drive it for me he goes well George you know 
honestly, mate, I can't afford it. I said, relax, mate. It's not going to cost you a Razu cent. You can drive it for nothing. He goes, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'm not kidding. He goes, mate, you got yourself a driver. So Stephen goes, Steve, Steve was blown away. He goes, you, and one of the reasons I, 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 I chose Steve at the track was Cortina, small block Ford, top loader gearbox, same wheelbase, sports sedan. So it was very similar to what we had built. And I thought, well, if anyone can handle something that's a little bit raw and a short wheelbase is another is a sports sedan driver. You know what I mean? Mm. So Stephen's so Steve drives the Cortina, and the court the sports sedan race is the race before the sports cars. So he races, comes in, parks the car. We drive the car to the dummy grid. Philip on he's running from the Parada tent down to the dummy grid jumps in the car and off he goes. So because he hadn't qualified, he starts last on the grid. I think I was third on the grid at the time or fourth on the grid and he was last. And I think there was about 25 cars, something like that at the time. So I'm thinking, and I'm pretty stressed out and I'm concentrating more on Stephen and car number 99 than me driving 98. But I'm sitting in 98 going, okay, let's go. Green lights go. The red lights go off and we're off going into turn one down at Phillip Island. Next thing, a minute, I get a bit of a nudge in the back of the car and I look in the mirror and I've gone, what? It's it, Stephen Vines has hit me up the arse with the other car and he's gone from last to fourth by turn one. So anyway, we're off and, I'm, and I just couldn't concentrate because, but I'll, I'll, let me step back a little bit. Before he jumped in the car, we turned around to him and said, listen, Steve, do me a favour. If the car's dangerous... If the car doesn't feel good to you, please, mate, I won't be offended. Just drive it straight back into the garage. And he said, no worries. Anyway, we're racing. And off we are and we're racing and, and it all it, it all comes together. We finish the race. We come in. He drives into the garage. We pull the roller doors down and, I, and we're waiting for I jump out. I mean, I've done nothing on the track because all I'm doing is I'm sort of driving with my, you know, doing shoulder turns, looking at where he is, what he's doing. So I'm, I couldn't, I didn't know what I was doing on the track because I was concentrating on the other car and I was concerned about Steve. He pulls in, turns around to me, goes, "You know what, George? I've never driven a tougher car in my life." He goes, "It doesn't, it doesn't go around corners, it doesn't stop, but Jesus, does it go, mate?" <laughs> <laughs> true story, mate. True stories. I'm sitting here having a beer. So, so just. Correct my my head. I I forgot about Christian DeGostin in it. Did Christian drive the car before Stephen, or was that after that? Okay, this is the this is this is the way it, it happened. You, we had Steve uh, Simon Frew drive it first. Stephen Vines then drove it. Tom Cantwell then drove it for just three or four laps. I won't talk to you about that one. Um, uh, then then came. Uh, Christian Degostin, then Stephen White. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. So yep. that was the, that was sort of the chronological order of who drove the car. But Christian was the only one that really did it justice because he actually won the championship with the car and beat um, uh, Lyndon Punchin by one point at Sandown in the last race of the season. Yes, yeah, that was uh, Lyndon, the South Australian, wasn't he? Correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Lynn, he raced a lot up in New South Wales as well. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. He's an Adelaide boy. I actually spoke to him about six weeks ago for the first time in twenty years. 
Yeah, I think he was on the, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was a board member of uh, CAMS there for a while, about 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm well. pretty sure he was, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't so, know. So, George, let's, let's just go go back to that. Run, run through, you know, you're on the road with, you know, there's a couple of good names. I mean, Christian de Gostin, correct me if I'm wrong here, Gaz, won the Commodore Cup. Um, yep. he he was in Commodore Cup. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, one races won there. He won Stephen, one races. Stephen, yep. Stephen he, White. Um, he, he was he a raced. teammate to David Giddis. Yes. Yeah, in the Strathfield yep. car. Yep. Stephen White raced internationally. Ended up racing Utes. He was a he was a Holden Young Lion. You know, like in the yep. early 2000s, and he's he's ended up in in the team with you, George. Just give give us a touch yep. on that. You know, like you're you're putting potentially guys in your car that are going to beat you on the track. You know, mate, um, it's really funny because there's a guy by the name of, uh, I think, Chris the George. Do you remember Chris the George? That was the um, journalist for Auto Action back in the day. Yep. Chris McGeorge, yeah, photographer, journo. Yep. Yep. It's really funny because when I put Christian in the car, Chris did a, a, an article in, in Auto Action and turned around and, and, and it was really flattering from my point of view when I think about it. And I was so proud that he respected me as much as... Uh, 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 more than I thought he did, but he turned around and says, George Vitovic changed Mark's sports car forever by putting a pro driver like Christian Degostin in his car. And that's that's so true. That when that happened, I think Mark's sports car changed for, uh, forever where checkbooks were brought into Mark's sports car and turning into sports car. It was, um, it was just a different world when people started driving cars that they didn't own in that class. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it look, it wasn't, as... was it a change for the better or the worse? It, uh, for me, the jury's out on that. It's not, it never, it never became, uh, it certainly didn't go backwards, but it, it, it did leap forwards, but it didn't make it any better or worse. The cars were still beautiful. The cars around your cars were all still beautiful and, and, and magnificent pieces of, uh, of engineering. Um, yeah, but you got to you got to hold on, dude. You got to remember though, it's called progress. Correct. Times change, cars change. You can't drive an MGB forever in 2023. You know, new guys come in, younger guys come in, and those younger guys are buying you know 360 Ferraris or 488 Ferraris or Lamborghini Huracans. That's what they're buying today, and that's what's eligible for sports car. And it was just the inevitable progress or advancement in what was going to happen on the grid, if you know what I mean. Well, it's also get the that. problem of um, getting bits and pieces for the older cars as well. Correct. And they were getting valuable and people didn't want to risk the, the value of the car by driving them at a, at a race event, which I think is wrong because, I mean, if you can't afford to race, then don't bloody race, you know? Mm. <laughs> Agreed. I tell you what, though, and I'll, I'll segue just for a moment here. The MG and Invited British Sports Car Racing in Victoria over the last two to three years has just going on gangbusters. But it's a it's a different style of racing now. It's an, an enthusiast and a passionate racer rather than uh, you know lights to flag sort of competitive racing, yep. which was what yep. what you you were just intimating to, and that's what in 2015, 2016, when you sort of finished up in the Victorian scene. And I'm gonna I'm gonna step you forward again here. Yep. At that yep. point, you obviously took a big assessment on business, on life, and uh, um, you know you sort of disappeared a little bit, and then all of a sudden, everyone starts to find out George is in the USA racing, uh, got the Cobra over there, and 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 having the best time of his life. Yeah. Look. It, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, 
what happened for me from a business point of view was a little bit deep um, and intense. Um, you got to remember, I'm pretty passionate in the best of times, with, regardless of what I'm doing. I was very passionate about the automotive industry in general. Um, you know, whether people believed it or not, I don't give a rat's ass, but I was. I started an organisation called Specialty Vehicles Australia, which was affiliated with um, um, with um, VACC. And it was an interest organisation because we had no members. However, VACC saw a lot of strength in what we were trying to achieve. And there was, um, and I had a great committee members. I had probably about 10 members and they, they were so diverse. I had people, I had, you know, Vic engineers on board of the committee. I had Richard Benden, Richard Bendel was on the part of the board. Um, there was a couple of engineers, a couple of guys that owned mechanical workshops. And what we tried to do is we tried to lobby the state and federal government for changes in the automotive industry. And we struggled quite extensively, everything from club permit schemes to um, changing uh, ADR compliances to individually constructed vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'm not going to get into exactly how it happened and what happened, but um, suffice to say that um, Frank Maguire, who's Eddie Maguire's brother, who was the parliamentary secretary at the time, was the man that changed my life forever. He's the man that ended, made me end up here in the United States. And I'm not going to tell you what happened and how it happened because it wasn't nice and I didn't like what had happened because he'd come and visit me in the shop. Um, and I'm just going to stop it there. Otherwise, I'll get myself into a lot of trouble. But um, I just sort of, I was just jack of what was happening in Australia. Um, I was frustrated in what was happening with the business. I was frustrated what was happening with other people in business. And I said, you know what? I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to go to the land of milk and honey, uh, a country that reveres entrepreneurs and a country that that opens doors for people who are enthusiastic and passionate. And uh, I ended up selling lock, stock and barrel everything that I owned to a guy by the name of David Murphy, who owns TRJ Engineering, who now runs Python Vehicles Australia. Uh, he ended up buying everything off me. I sold my building to a property developer who's pulled the building down and is now developing something on it, uh, as I would expect because the land was probably worth more than the bloody business was, especially in the South Melbourne area. And I said to Maggie, you know what? When people ask me today, and, and this happens in America here, when people say, oh, Mr. Vitovic, what do you do? I said, I'm a racing car driver. And I teach people I still, to I still say that, George, and I haven't turned a wheel since 2000. <laughs> I've, I've got yeah, to well, live got through that every time now, we have mate, a chat. <laughs> So, I mean, that's just a real, real quick version of how I, I, I decided to come over here. And I said to Maggie, you know what? Um, what I want to do is I want to try to race every single bloody racetrack that the United States have got because every single track's got a history and a story behind it. And, 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 and it's just amazing. And we're getting through them slowly, mate, you know? So you land in the States. What what year was it that you, you landed there and went, right, now I need a shed to put a race car in. Now I need a tow car. Now I need a trailer. Now I need to enter some race meetings. <laughs> what, 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 what year was that? When did it all, all Jesus, kick off? Jesus Christ, mate. I remember vividly. That was October 17th, 2017. Wow. Big, big day for you, obviously. Mate, it was, it was huge. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, we, we, um, we sold lock, stock and barrel. Uh, we did probably three or four trips to the Salvation Army with all the clothes and stuff that we had at home. We got rid of just just about everything. Um, came over here, ended up 
um, doing a deal with a company called Penta Motorsport. And what the deal was, was uh, I was to work for him three days a week in lieu of him allowing me to store my race car at his facilities at Canoga Park and use his facilities to race my car. So for the first year or two, I didn't have a transport or anything to transport my car. What I did was I used uh, Steve's Senate and his race team to transport my car to and from racetracks that he was competing in. So the first year or so was quite um, quite of a struggle because I was at his beck and call as far as if he wanted to race at Willow Springs, we'd go racing at Willow Springs. But if he didn't want to race at Road America, we wouldn't race at Murray America. So I could only go racing to the tracks that he wanted to race at. And that was the, a bit of a downfall there. But I had to try to find my ground somewhere by beginning staying with a local American who knew the scene so that I could learn from him where you could go and compete and what I could compete in. You know what I mean? And it, did the Americans broadly in the pit lane or in the paddock area, were they, were they a bit standoffish of, a, of an Aussie that wears cowboy <laughs> boots and a big 10 gallon hat coming in and, uh, and, and playing Jeez. on their, on their cricket pitch? Mate, I'll tell you, look, I was, I was, you know what? And I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed in saying this to you guys, but um, and it and it was really flattering. It's it's funny because I ended up going to a fun. I ended up being a member of VARA, which is the Vintage Automobile Racing Association. I actually raced with them this weekend, and we'll talk about that, which I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation about Podium Club. But I became a member of VARA, and on the opening of the season, they usually have a function night uh, at a aer- airport to uh, to bring on the season there's a group of guys and they you know you sit down for dinner the whole bit it's a bit like what you saw me at you know that cams night you know something yep. like that yep and uh i stood up and i did a bit of it i was a guest speaker there <laughs> i, I come my way into being a guest speaker there mate i mean it's a typical bit of it, isn't it? anyway uh, um so I, I gave a bit of a speech about the book that i wrote pride passion and persistence one man's automotive journey and I just talked about the book and that it was available at the next race meeting because I sell merch here too. Um, and and through the course of the night, I got called up to a, a table of elderly gentlemen, you know, obviously American guys that are well-respected through the vintage racing scene. And they sit down with me. And we start chatting about that. And they sort of, one gentleman leans over to me and goes, now, um, we sort of know who you are, George. So... We just want to give you a bit of piece of advice. Um, don't be fast. <laughs> there you go, mate. That was my introduction to vintage racing, grassroots racing in the United States in 2017. <laughs> I'd be interested to know the differences between a race meeting in the US and one here as far as bumping, sign-on, paperwork and all that. Is it similar or is it very different? No. It's, it's, I, um, I'm glad you bloody asked that. I'll tell you, it is so extremely different to what I experienced through cams back in the day that I can't even begin to tell you guys. I can't even begin to tell you. You've got to remember, I'm sitting in a country that's got the landmass of Australia that has 320 million people in it. California has got 36 million people in a state the size of Victoria. So you can imagine the mayhem and the madness 
in this country when it comes to motorsport. <laughs> You've got to remember also, there is not a governing body in this country like we have. For example, you know, excuse my ignorance, but you've got CAMS, which is the umbrella that controls all the motorsport within the Australia, whether it be grassroots, whether it be V8 supercars, whether it be Formula One. And am I correct to say that? Yes? Yeah, correct. It's now called Motorsport Australia. Yes, correct. Correct. So whereas in America, that does not exist because what you've got is you've got all these breakaway small organisations that do their own thing. You've got SVRA is one group. You've got VARA, which is another group. You have HSR, Historic Sports Car Racing. You have VGR, Vintage Group Racing. You've got IMSA, which is more of a pro series racing. Then you've got the SCCA that have been around for 50, 60 years. Then you've got NASA. This is just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven organisations that run race meetings throughout the United States. Some do regional stuff and they keep it on the West Coast. Uh, SBRA is an organisation that's trying to do it nationally and they'll have meetings in, they'll have a meeting in California, then they'll have a meeting in Texas, then they'll have a meeting in Virginia, then they'll have a meeting in Florida. So they're, they're spread right across the United States. So it's a a really, really different ball game that I can't even begin to tell you. Now, each organisation has the... And they don't call them scrutineers. It's all tech. Like, if you want to go and scrutineer your car, you've got to take it to tech. You've got to talk to the tech officer. So they've got different terminologies as far as the motorsport scene is concerned. But it's it's basically exactly the same. You know, whether they're a scrutineer or a tech, they're doing inspection of the car. Um, and it's like anything else. Once they get to know you, the slacker they get. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they should know your car, shouldn't they? It, it, that's exactly right. But well, you know, it, it's quite the opposite here, isn't it, George? The more they know you, the more they want to throw you on the coals. <laughs> well, the more they want to throw you under the bus, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but, you know, so um, it's it's very similar, you know. It's, it's very similar in what they do. You know, you've got the flag marshals. They have the driver's briefing. It's it's very international. It's very um, it's across the board. Motorsport is motorsport. Whether you're going to the to Europe or whether you're doing it in America, but the most the most diverse thing that I'm trying to explain to you guys is there are there is not an umbrella organisation. And you know, if you have an if you have like I remember back in the early years, I mean, I passed under a yellow flag flag and I was fined two hundred and fifty dollars. At Sandown, I remember that vividly, you know. Um, they don't do it here. They don't fine you for any indiscretions, you know. They they sort of, you walk, and there's no such thing as a steward. I mean, they they have stewards, but they don't have stewards because they don't call them stewards, you know. <laughs> They're busy telling That's George Vitovic, the keynote speaker, don't go fast, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, They're I mean, the stewards. He's going fast, right? We've got to have a word to him. <laughs> it's Well, you know, it's. And I still get I still get a bit of big backlash on the Python over there because it's a, it's a replica, so they so they look at it very um, differently into a vintage car. I mean, the example being is it rolled up one one year at a HSR meeting um, at Daytona, and it had the wing on it and the spoiler on it and the big pa- the uh, the pods on it. And I rolled up to tech, and they inspected the car and sort of looked down down their noses at me. And put me in group 10. And I thought, oh, okay, no worries. But when I rolled up to the dummy group, group 10, 
well, lo and behold, what am I fucking running up to? Oh, sorry, F-bomb, F-bomb. <laughs> Edit that out. Edit that out, all right? Um, <laughs> lo and behold, mate, what I roll up to is is a, 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 a grid of Porsches, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, <laughs> Audis, Bentleys. Again, and I thought, here we are. Um, all over again, I'm going through this garbage of them looking at the car differently because it's not a real car. Yes, yes. So moving forward, obviously you've you've put your hands up, you've surrendered, you've yep. found what is now I, I, I'm gonna get you to tell the story on it, what is now a yellow McLaren. Oh. So you've got all the providence you could possibly want in the world in a Can Am car now. Um, are you Daz or are you Gaz? Oh, I'm Daz, yeah. Daz, sorry, mate. The beer's getting to me, and this is my, I think this is my fifth, and I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, <laughs> the McLaren is a whole different world altogether, mate, altogether. I mean, it is the most beautiful car I've ever driven in my life. Um, the car's magnificent. It's, it's, uh, it's just a piece of art, and I love it to pieces. I'm so glad that I bought it. I bought it as, as, as junk. Um, the story with the car, and I'm not going to – again, I, I wish I had more than 60 minutes to talk to you guys because I've got so much to tell you. There's so many stories and exciting people that I've met along the, uh, along the, the travels here of motorsport. Uh, but getting back to the McLaren, uh, okay, quick story. Uh, Greg Robb is a guy who's a broker that sells sports cars. He also works as a crew chief for an indie team in Indianapolis – uh, I ring him up and I turn around to him and say, Greg, I'm in the market for a Can-Am car. I want to buy something. I want to buy an M6B. I don't want a big 8F because I can't put it in my trailer, blah, 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 blah. He goes, no problems. Leave it with me. Six, seven months later, he rings me up, says, George, I found the Can-Am car. Great. Tell me, what's the story? Um, it's in Florida. It's been in storage for 26 years. Um, it's pretty bad, rough condition, but it's all there and it's got the providence that you want. It's a real car. I said, great, let's go and have a look at it. So we go and have a, I go and have a look at it and lo and behold, it is, it's a complete car. The wheels are seized, the engine's seized. Um, there's a mummified body of a possum in near the water pump. Um, it's on uh, a dollies being pushed around. I sit down with the owner, uh, Victor Mayette, and I'll get into that conversation in a minute and explain to you who he is because he's got a legendary story. Um, and I turn around and we do the deal and I end up buying the car. Get it at a reasonable price and I'm not going to drop any dollar signs. I don't want to. Um, but the car's junk. You know, it's, it's just in disarray. So it takes me two and a half years to build the car. I pull it down straight just to the bare tub and I start fresh. But what I did, what I promised myself that I didn't want to do is I did not want to restore the car. And if this makes sense to you guys, what I wanted to do was recondition the car. I just wanted to get the car and prep the car for racing. I didn't want it to be a trailer queen. I didn't want to zinc plate, plate things. I didn't want to, you know, bead plus magnesium. I didn't want to do any of that shit. What I wanted to do was recondition the car and make it race worthy. And that's exactly what I did, you know. But the story gets even more intense. I'm lying in bed, three o'clock in the morning. We've put a deposit on the car. We're going to do some wheeling and dealing and pay it off the next day or so, go back there. I get a phone call from someone in New Zealand saying, mate, 
you haven't bought the real car. I said, what? He goes, you haven't bought the real car. The real car belongs to another bloke, lives in England, blah, blah, blah. And he hangs up on me. I'm going, oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm playing in that sand sandbox with the uh, cigar smokers and the, and the caviar eaters. And I thought, here we go. Here, it's all going to start again. So um, long story short, Maggie and I jump on an airplane. We fly to UK. We do some research. We find out who crewed on the car. We find that the car's the real deal. We get a letter from Charlie Ag, who owns Trojan Cars, who built the tub for the car, gives me a letter confirming that it's a real car, signs it, blah, blah, blah. We get some Providence papers on it. So it's the real deal. Come back to America. We buy the car. Get another phone call in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Mate, I heard, uh, g'day, mate. And it's an Aussie this time. Heard you bought an M6B. I said, yeah, I have. And he goes, I heard you got a spare engine with it. I said, yeah, I have, mate. And I said, uh, he goes, you interested in selling it? And I'm going, I'm half asleep. I'm going, mate, are you serious? He goes, and I won't say who mentioned, who told him this. And and he goes, mate, I'll give you 75 grand for the motor. And I'm going, mate, listen, dude, I've got your number. Let me just have, ponder that and 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 I'll, we'll talk. And I said to Maggie, I said, some bloody wankers offered me 75 grand for that bloody motor that we got spare with the car. And she goes, really? And I said, mate, there's something going on there, Meg. So I ring up, there's a company here called Kinsler Injection and they make fuel injection systems for classic cars, right? So I ring in Kinsler and I said, mate, what do you charge for a small block injection system? Um, and that's everything I need, the trumpets, the manifold, the the fuel injection, the, um, the fuel distributor system, just lock, stock and barrels to bolt it on. He goes, 44,000 US dollars. No wonder the bloody bugger in Australia wanted 75 grand for the motor. He did pay me 75 grand. I said, I ain't selling that motor because it was Lucas, a real Lucas fuel injection system on it. So it's, you know, the real deal. It's old school magnesium. Uh, that's the basic story on the car. We build the car and we go testing. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah, why yeah. not? Why not? I want you to touch on the guy that owned the McLaren. There sounded like it was a good oh, story there too. You're going to love this, mate. You're going to love this. This is this is the legend there. This is the story. Going back a little bit, George Nackers from Dutton Sports Cars. You know who I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So George has got an M8F, a very famous M8F, a red one, with a big block Chev in it. Now, that original car had a big block Chev with twin turbos on it. And I approached, uh, I approached George a couple of years ago to buy that car off him. And, you know, at the tight ass that I am and the tight ass that he is, Greek boy, we couldn't do a deal on buying the car. So, you know, it falls by the wayside and I forget about the car. Well, I don't forget about it. I just didn't, I walked away from it. Anyway, I buy this car, but I've still got this bug up my ass over George's car. I really love George's car. So I go back. Speak to George, and George goes, nah, the car's in London. I've given it to an auction house over there. They're going to try to sell it for me. Oh, yeah, right, no worries. So, you know, have a cup of coffee, we leave anyway. So I've still got a bug up my ass for this bloody George's car. So I jump on the internet, and I'll have a look, and it's at Giardo Company in London, and it's up for sale. And, I'm, and for the first time, I'm reading the provenance of the car. And all of a sudden, Victor Mayette, the guy who owned, who owned my M6B's name comes up. He was the owner of that car. So he owned the M8F George had and my car at the same time. So I then ring up 
Simon Parfait, who crewed for Victor Mayette, and said, hey, what's the deal? Did, and he goes, yes, Victor owned the M8F and the M6B, and he sold the M8F because it scared the bejesus out of him because when he had it, it was the twin-turbo big block running a 1,000 horsepower. So that's the story of this Victor Mayette, but it gets a little bit deeper because he gets deported out of the United States for some unsavory business dealings that he had in Europe, leaves the cars over there, but finally brings the then gets sells the red car, ends up with the six, the M6B and ships the M6B to to America and races it for the last time in 1996 at the 30th anniversary of Can Am at Road America. Now, I am not going to go any further into the Victor Mayette story. That's all you're going to get out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So, George, give us a quick pricey of uh, of where you've raced and tested the Can-Am and and, and the enjoyment slash frustration that comes with rebuilding an old car. Yeah, look, it's it, it's it's been a fabulous journey, and I've loved every bloody minute of it, mate. And the frustrations aren't that bad. I mean, you'd be you'd be surprised when you start digging digging around how many people have got Can Am parts in their backyards. I mean, this is a big country with a lot of people, mate, and there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, the 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 terminology of barn finds is well and truly alive in this country because there's a hell of a lot of them. I mean, that's Man. that's the of it. <laughs> That's that's the bottom line, mate. There's no such thing as them running out of cars. There's there's that many of them around. Um, we rebuilt the car uh, through the network of people that I discovered here that ran and, and sold Pan Am parts. One of them is a Canadian guy that we bought a lot of gears off him for the the rear end and the gearbox. Uh, we build the car. We finish the car. We wheel on the car. We take it to Button Willow to test it. And it scares the living bejesus out of me. It's doing all this weird and crazy stuff. It's darting, weaving under brakes. It's it's sliding. It's just a horrible car to drive. Um, thankfully, it wasn't the car, but it was the wheel alignment that we gave the car that made it so applorable to drive. Um, I, I gave it to a guy to do a wheel alignment who sort of uh, said that he was the, you know, the, the guru of, of wheel aligning Can-Am cars, obviously wasn't. We then got in touch with the English guys. They gave us some specs on it. We realigned it, drove it a second time, and I absolutely fell in love with the car. It was just chalk and cheese, and it was the magnificent car to drive. It did everything. And it's really funny. I mean, I'm going, I'm stepping back a little bit. Um, when we did finish the car, and we, we uh, before we drove it, I sort of had, I sat, you know, sitting in bed with Maggie. I said, you know, Mags, I'm a little bit concerned. She goes, what's wrong? I go, I'm freaking out. I don't know if I've got the balls to drive this car. I don't know if I've got the bloody talent to, to got the ability to drive this car because they're widow makers. They were fast cars back in their time. They're, they're a handful in the best of times. So, and you guys will know this name. There's a man in, America, in Australia that I absolutely love dearly. I've got a lot of time for him. A lot of people don't like him. I think he's a true gentleman of the sport. I think he's a legend of the sport. I think he's forgotten by a lot of people. I think he should be respected uh, far more than maybe some people respect him. And that's John Sidney, as you guys would definitely know. Yes, um, a, a, note John, that down, Gaz, because John Sidney's on our list of guests we want to get on here, George. You might be right. a conduit to success there. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I love that man to pieces, mate. I would, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. Um, 
I have uh, the utmost respect for him. I have the utmost time for him. Whatever he wants or needs in life, he can. He, all he has to do is call. But that's another story, and we won't go there. Um, I ring him up, and I go, John, oh, what do you want, your bloody wog? He goes, you know, he's on my phone. He's just. He always used to call me the big, tall, lanky wog when I walked into his shop. I said, "Mate, you're such a disrespectful bastard, mate. You bloody skips are all the same, mate." Anyway. Um, I ring him up and I turn around and I go, listen, mate, and, he, and you know, you can mention this to him. He probably won't remember it because he's probably that old. He's getting Alzheimer's. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> we um, better get him on before so, he loses everything. No, nah, he's still uh, going very well. He's going Yeah, no, nah, he's the top. I just saw him when I when I was there a couple of weeks ago and had, had lunch with him. Yeah. Um, I ring him up and I turn around and said, listen, John, it's George. He goes, all right, you wog bastard. What do you want, mate? I said, mate, I'm, I've got to ask you a question. I'm a bit concerned. He goes, I, I, I said to him, I bought this Can-Am car and I just don't know if I've got the, the ability to drive it. I don't know if I've got the balls to drive this bloody car. I'm scared shitless, you know? He turns around and he goes, you listen to me, you, you bloody bar, you wog bastard. He goes, he goes, mate, if you can drive that orange piece of shit that you drive all those years... <laughs> He goes, this McLaren will do everything your car doesn't do. Click. <laughs> and just hung up on me. <laughs> and I thought, okay, all right, fine. <laughs> and that just changed my psyche forever. The car's just beautiful to drive. It's great to drive. We've, um, we've raced it now. Um, okay. We, we finished it. And our first, very, very first test session was at, at, at Buttonwill, as I told you. Sorted out the wheel line. It took about the, back to Button Willow. That's probably about two hours north of Los Angeles, uh, out in the desert. And it was uh, we had to go there at seven o'clock in the morning because by midday it was one hundred and ten degrees Fahrenheit, forty-two so degrees. Was bloody, crazy, crazy yeah. temperatures, right? So we tested everything's good. So we decided, all right, our first race is going to be, um, believe it or not, uh, Road Atlanta. I don't know if you guys know the track, one of the most legendary tracks in Georgia area. It's Michelin Raceway. Used to be owned by Don Panos back in the day. Panos Esperani, Panos Sports Cars. Yep. Yeah, uh, which knew Don quite well. I got to know him really well in the early years um, because we were in, uh, I, I was in negotiations with him to try to buy Phillip Island, but that's another story that you guys don't need to hear. And that was a meeting we had in Sydney, but it's a great story. Um, anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ, mate. These we'll beers like we'll have to have a lunch meeting sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be uh, <laughs> an extension on this, loose, isn't there? Mate, loose lips sink ships, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Even um, on the other it, side of the Pacific. Yeah, so we so we take the car to uh, Road Atlanta, beautiful track, picturesque, a lot of elevation changes and a magnificent uh, fast track. Uh, we we take it there. The the usual suspects are there. It's it's with HSR. I'm a member of HSR, which is the historic sports car racing group. Great bunch of people. Again, an organisation of their own, trying to do their own thing. They actually now have been purchased by IMSA. IMSA are so impressed by how they run meetings and the type of quality cars they get that IMSA, the organisation, has purchased. HSR, but have allowed David Hinton, who's the president of HSR, to still run it the way he wants to run it. So there's a bit of goss for you there. Yeah. Um, we take it there and we're thrown in with uh, Frisbee cars and other, a couple other Can-Am cars. But what the, uh, getting back to the organisations, because the organisations are so big, they have a, such 
a diverse field of cars because they can't get a full grid of cars. For example, when I bring when I brought my Cam Can Am car to HSR that weekend, we were racing with open wheel cars. So they threw us in with open wheelers because there wasn't enough um, and S two thousand sports cars sort of thing. Yeah, they're, you know, those, they're doing that here as well these days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ratings. Yeah. Um, and they do it far more in the United States because there's so many groups that everyone diversifies and races with different people, if you know what I mean, that suits their timelines as far as their businesses and their lives are concerned. So anyway, we, we raced for the first time there. Uh, you know, I, get, I teed into the track on Friday practice, you know, did about four practice sessions. Uh, but by the end of the weekend, uh, in the two races, we came third in one race and second in, in, in another race for the first inaugural race of this car since 1996. So I was proud of that. So your most recent outing, of course, was at Casa Grande in um, Arizona just last yep. weekend. What are you talking about? Are you on drugs, dude? Not last weekend. I just got back three hours ago, mate. <laughs> yeah, we're a day ahead of you. <laughs> dude, I got, yeah, I got back from a road trip. We, I rolled up, we just rolled up here at 9.30 last night from an eight-hour drive from Casa Grande. So... We've done Friday practice there. We've done Saturday racing, uh, qualifying and racing. And then Sunday we finished at 2.45 and I loaded up the trail and drove straight back to LA, unloaded at the Van Nuys Airport and then came home here because I had to get on the bloody blower with you guys at 12 o'clock. Yeah, send, some, send some Aussies and people all around the world some home truths uh, GV style. Yeah, the, um, of course, uh, George, you, you've got to remember that our podcast comes out on Friday, so... It was last yeah, okay. weekend. Yeah, all right. Well, it's well, it's not in my brain, mate. But it doesn't matter with the <laughs> listeners. Um, yeah, look, we Casa Grande is an interesting place, mate. It's Arizona. Um, it's it's in in um, Bumbuck nowhere. Um, it's again summer, forty nine degrees. It's it's out of control. Friday was freezing temperatures. It was bloody cold. Um, start was seven o'clock in the morning for drivers briefing. Uh, we had on track, I think, at 9.50 was the first session. And I think, I, I, Baz, I sent Baz uh, some sheets. I'm not sure if I did. Anyway, um, I couldn't get any heat into the temperature, into the tyres. It was it was diabolical. Also, the track's very green because it's only about two years old. You know, as you well know, the, the wealth in this country is obscene. So someone in their infinite wisdom that's got plenty of money decided, what the hell, let's build a racetrack out in the desert because I've got plenty of money and I can do it. Can you send them and over they, here? Yeah, send them over here. We need some tracks. Yeah, mate. You're not. Yeah, you bloody oath. Australia needs a bit more than just tracks. It needs a different attitude to motorsport. But I'm not going to go there, mate. Um, so yeah, Casa going back Grand, to your racing. Yeah, Casa Grande was really good. So we went out um, practice session. We were running with really different, diverse cars. Again, that mixed match of, uh, of, of um, cars on in our category. Our category was Group 5. So we had things like um, Ligiers running, the little Ligiers. We had um, Normas running with us. Uh, we had Open Wheelers running with us. I was the only Can-Am. I was the only V8 car out there, but that didn't mean a thing because the top cars were doing 1 minute 30 seconds around the, uh, um, around the track which the, that guy was a good mate of mine, Tony Lisi and um, Steve Lisi, their father and son guys, father and son group that live in Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona. And they came down and ran there. Norman, he was running a 130 uh, this weekend. I ended up running a and practice on Friday. I did a 144, which was a bit 
frustrating, but there was poor, it's a very technical track. It's a really flowing track, but like I said, it's very green. It's only two years old, so the grip, there's not much grip there. Um, but by the end of the weekend, I ended up doing taking four seconds off my time, ended up doing a 140, uh, and on that was Saturday for the flag race. Uh, on Sunday, we went out on qualifying, and I ended up breaking the accelerator cable. But all in all, the, the weekend was really successful. It was glad, I was so glad to do the Casa Grande racetrack to put that on my bucket list as a tick that we had raced the car there. And the car performed well and got a lot of attention being a, a K&M car amongst all those other modern cars. I mean, the car that I ran with against uh, the normal car that, that Tony and Steve run is a 2009 and it runs the uh, Holden motor, the Honda motor in it. And as you guys know, there's, that's modern technology and those bloody things are, are, are fast around corners where they lack speed in the straights. They make up on, on corner speed, you know? George, we are rapidly running out of time and there's something I always like to ask at this point in time and, and I, I'm pretty sure you're going to jump on this just with the way you've approached this whole chat tonight. Your, <laughs> uh, your, your, your biggest nemesis, your, the one that you went on the racetrack and you went, you know what, I'm going to have to wring this guy's neck to get the win and I'm going to win. And the second part to that question is, who was someone you really, really enjoyed racing against? Oh, I can't answer that, mate. There's so many people. Um, you know, Mort Fitzgerald was a bloke that I just absolutely adored because of his bedside manner. Uh, just a lovely, lovely human being. One hell of a driver. I mean, an amazing driver that blew my mind. Um, Tom Hutchinson, another guy, lovely guy, lovely driver. Uh, Lyndon Punchin, very competitive, um, a gentleman, but very competitive. Didn't like the fact that he lost to us by one point with Christian de Gosselin. That um, threw him um, for a sixer. Um, I, I've just had too many experiences that I, can, I can't tell you one specific one, mate. I can't tell you one specific person. They've all, they've all had something to offer to what I loved in them or, or hated in them. You know, I, I can't, I don't know, mate. I can't tell you that. Well, there you go. You've sprung the beans on everyone else, and I give you the I give you the easy leading question. You got no answer. Almost stuck for stuck for words. We had three seconds there with no no words from you. <laughs> sorry, mate. I, I can't. I didn't. Yeah, I can't do it for you, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, boys. Hey, George. You uh, we are rapidly running out of time, so you have not disappointed us one little bit, has he, Gaz? No, certainly not. There's a couple of blokes sitting in Australia with a wry smile on my on our faces every oh, time you've thrown someone under the bus. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, we've got some headlines out of this one. Yeah, my Gee. ribs are hurting from laughing. <laughs> Mate, I can't I can't thank you enough to to choose me to 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 have a chat with. I mean, I I, I, res I respect you, Daz. I mean, I've known you for a while, but thank you so much for for sitting and chatting and listening to my little stories. I mean, I've got so many more to tell you which I'd love to tell you. Um, but anyway, we're, we're running out of time and I can't thank you guys enough. George, what's the name of your book again? It's uh, Pride, Passion and Persistence, One Man's Automotive Dream. And is that still available? Well, believe it or not, I only got about 25 copies left and I usually sell them at the racetrack for $30 US. <laughs> right. Okay. So we've got to look out on... Uh, on uh on online auctions and things like that for the, uh, for the story there, George, um, 
from the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Thanks for your time. It's late at night. Time to tuck yourself up in bed and have a have a, a relax and a massage after a big weekend racing. You're a champion, mate. I love you guys. Thank you very much to listening to my story. And thank you to Napa for bringing on a podcast to the listeners in Australia. And, and hopefully if you guys give me a, a little bit of a link, I'll spread the, the love over here in the United States to all my network of guys who'd love to listen to this podcast. Easy done. We'll definitely do that at the end of this week. Thanks, George. All the best, George. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Good on you guys. Enjoy the summer. Well, Gaz, how uh, how good was that to have such a character of Australian motorsport? I'm not sure he's a great ambassador for Australian motorsport in the USA, <laughs> but he's certainly having a good old time of it over there. Indeed. I reckon the um, the Yanks would love him. Oh, for sure. And Exceptional over there. He always walked around the pits here with the you know the knee high cowboy boots and the the ten gallon hat. He's found his happy place, and it's it's really cool. You can tell he's he's a happy man, which is which is always uh, fantastic. Plenty of stuff still going on in Australia. The whole thing has started back up, Gaz. But some legends have um, have left us over the last few weeks. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, Bob Muir is the first one that pops to mind. He uh, probably best known here for being in the Army Reserve. Ford Falcon XD, 91. Then he did a couple of years with that. He The first year they raced at a Bathurst was with Pete Gagan. And then he um, he, he uh, did several Bathursts after that. Finished up in a, with uh, Kenny Matthews in a Commodore. And then his last Bathurst run was in the Jaguar XJS with John Goss. Um, prior to that, uh, very much an open wheeler man. Very passionate about open wheelers. Race Formula 2, race... Uh, in Formula 5000, uh, started his career at Catalina in an Austin Hurley Sprite of all things, and um, was on knocking on the door of a Formula 1 career, but just ran out of funds, unfortunately. He was the first one that I'd like to mention. The second one was someone that you'd probably uh, remember well, Bob Jolly, sport, uh, Victorian sports sedan driver. Uh, started off in a Tirana and, and uh, bought the ex-Tony Parkinson Commodore, and uh, then progressed to his own uh, chef-powered Commodore and raced it up the East Coast. Took part in the Australian Sports Sedan Series slash championship and got a, uh, a fifth was his best result in the years that he competed in it. Unfortunately, he passed away. And the last one was Dave Orngo, an Englishman that came out here and raced an Alfa Romeo 155TS in Super Touring. Had a couple of starts at the Bathurst 1000 in the Super Touring event and ultimately finished third in the championship in 2000 when it was diluted somewhat with uh, future tours and uh, he, that year he won the uh, independence cup and was always a strong runner in the independence cup throughout the uh, series that he raced in bob jolly uh instrumental in i guess my interest in sports dance gaz i remember fondly at, at sandown uh, Dominic Beninka in the little Alphas turbocharged outfit and uh, Bob Jolly would get out of turn four and would get 100 metres on Dom out, up until the little kink under the causeway at the causeway there. And then by the end of the straight, Dom had that turbo thing and he was driving past Bob. And the ground in the grandstand, which is a, you know, a kilometre away, was thumping from those two cars just going up back straight. Sad, sad loss, those three yeah. uh, drivers. And look, I, I guess it's a, like any, any community that we're going to have times where these legends uh, depart. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of people, particularly like the Robin Doherty and Tony Hubbard, would remember Bob really well because they had uh, great dices in, in Victorian races. Ding-dong battles, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, uh, plenty of racing. Um, we started back off here in Victoria, and I've touched on it a couple of times. The Triple Eight Home Loan Series for the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championship went off with an absolute bang on the weekend. I don't know, I can't remember the last time I was in a pit and paddock area with such a great vibe of people wanting to go racing. In fact, I do. It was 12 months ago when we came out of COVID shutdowns and we were all racing again. So it was great to see there was uh, a bit of a change up in in the way the racing was done. There wasn't laps allocated. There was time allocated, which seems to be the way modern motorsport is going. So well, every Sydney Motorsport Park have been doing that it. for quite a few seasons. Yeah. So it's it's just started to come into the Victorian scene here. And uh, the Sunday morning was the, the feature race for the weekend. And I've got to say, a race for the ages in the Porsche 944s. It was an absolute thriller. Cambella, multiple series champion, came home from rear of the grid to first, but only just got it at the end when Chris Lewis-Williams and Adam Brewer went wide at the last corner over the back of the ripple strip, and they had this amazing drag race to the finish. And I was calling the race with Jack Attlee, who's Victorian Motorsports version of James Hunt, and he's a 944 racer. And we watched the timing screen flick between yeah. Chris Lewis Williams and Cambella three times before the timing. The judges, in fact, went, no, no, it was actually Cambella. <laughs> I, I was Got watching it. live timing and you guys at the same time, but uh, certainly the two that went off had it had it between them, didn't they? They yes. choked on that last corner. Yeah, look, Adam Brewer is going to be a champion in the category. He's he's coming on gangbusters. Chris Lewis Williams returning. Is he related he's to, stand um, to the Brewer that raced? Um... Oscars? No, 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 no. Okay. Different, different, uh, different family. Um, so yeah, Chris Lewis Williams got home second in that in that trophy race to Adam Brewer in the AVI Tech uh, nine four four. Another one which was, I guess, was quite the hype around the pit and paddock area was Mike Roddy in the TWR XJS Jaguar V twelve um, Bathurst winner. Um, he did a one twenty four nine eight and won the MG and invited British sports cars. Second was Trevor Lindsay. Now this was. A magnificent GT6 Triumph out of South Australia, and he was taking it up to to That's these a guys. silver car, was it? Uh, like a whitey sort of silver, yeah. yeah, a beautiful presented car. And third was Michael Trathan, car number one last year's champion. And when you look at it, you go the TWR XJS Jaguar V12, V12, and the MG Midget 1300cc of absolute glory. And he just drives the wheels off it. Car number one, one last year's championship. There's, so there's a couple of, like um, there's a, a, a pair of, uh, well, not a pair, but brothers, the Meyer brothers up here that run those um, 1300cc midgets. And they really do push above their their weight as far as performance goes. Those cars give Porsches a run. A they run do. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Well, they gave he gave a Bathurst uh, winner a, a good run for his money. Formula Ford, the Duratex, uh, Edison Beswick, uh, Berwick did uh, a great job. He came first in the Spectrum 014. Jared Farrell came home second in the Spectrum 015 and Lockie Strickland third in the McGale. Formula Ford Kent engines, uh, Richard Davison. Um, first in the RF95, beautiful looking car. Was that um, the car that he crashed at Bathurst? I think it is. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Oh, no, that was a Swift. This is his uh, championship winning car from last okay. year, the Van Diemen. Yeah, so um, that's that's Richard. I had a bit of a chat with Richard. In fact, um, stay tuned. He uh, he loves what we're doing here at the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. So stay tuned to that. Adam Torty, second in the Spectrum 010. And Grant Walker, um, switching from rally duties in his Swift DB1, got home third there. Saloon cars, Sean Jamison came 
first in the VY Commodore, the car he owns with Brad Vaughan at the wheel, Super 2 racer, second in the AU Falcon, so two South Australians, and Daniel Johnson forever waving the flag for, for the for the Fords in his AU Falcon in the uh, Johnson president, family president racing. president down there of the saloon cars. Indeed he is, yeah. Yeah, and he works very hard at keeping that AU at the front of the field. XLs, um, look, there, there's been a lot happening around the XLs, <laughs> and they had one of your favourite categories. Uh, uh, look, there's some great racing at times. Um, we had safety cars. The amount of laps the races got was really unfair. Um, look, Fletcher Faulkner got first, James Lodge second, Harry Tonkin third. A real honourable mention to uh, Cadell Ambrose who pushed it home for uh, for fifth place he's a um he's a napa auto parts academy kid so um i'm hoping we'll be able to get some time to chat with uh cadell ambrose who comes from a uh, a very good pedigree rowan ambrose who held multiple lap records in improved production around the country it's his son the just cars historic touring cars andrew lane first in the mustang darren collins second in a mustang not the camaro because brett, brett trengove drove that in uh sorry not brett trengrove the new owner of that drove that championship winning car but darren out of the camaro into a mustang and brett trengrove home third in the camaro uh, young leo that drove darren's old car wasn't it yes yep correct yep yeah and they put a gold stripe over it so you know it's from the leo family uh sports sedans well thomas randall just getting the uh the car out for a bit of an exercise uh no, it was a, it was a brilliant effort. Uh, new lap record of one hundred seven point four four five. Gaz, I had to contact you numerous times over the weekend to get the confirmation that so that it was Jordan a, Caruso. He knocked about a tenth out of Jordan's yes. previous lap record. Yeah, so that and was the intense. Would... That was the intention of the bringing the Saab along. They were they were wanting to get a lap record because Jordan did a terrific job of grabbing a lot of lap records last year. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to claim their home track and their record back again. Yeah, and I, I think too that that car had more in it. Um, the races were disrupted, that and traffic had, too. Yep, they they put a Michelin on the Michelin. You know, we know from Porsche racing takes four or five laps to come on. Yep. At at lap four, Thomas had caught the back, you know, the tail <laughs> markers, and was mixed up in traffic. But he had a great weekend. In fact, Thomas was mixing it with all the sports sedan guys at the presentation, uh, and hung around and, and was just chatting like like any other racer. Would which is what the the Randalls do that his old man was the same. You, you look at any of those supercar drivers when they're away from that the intensity of that championship that they're competing and they're racing in other categories. We had Jack LeBrock last year in combined sedans at the twelve hour in May, and he was so cool, relaxed, just love not having to to front up to do various media requirements or team stuff, and they do enjoy getting away from uh, from the glitz and glamour. Well, and for all intents and purposes, Thomas owns this car, or his dad does. So, uh, you know, it's the it's the family business. <laughs> yeah. Ray Hislop, um, fantastic to have Ray racing back in Victoria in a full-blown FPR X supercar, and he got home in second place. And Dean Cam got home in third. Dean didn't take part in the last race. I'm yet to get the story behind that. But Dean was on it. Dean was... He, he lifted. were brilliant. Yeah, he, he which he always has been, but... He lifted to the the crowd around him, which was was fantastic. Formula V saw Reef McCarthy in the Sabre 01 first. Nick Jones second in the Jason 98. He's been racing that car for over 20 years. I think it's done over 300 races. And Andre Curran home in third place. Danny Timewell won his first improved production race after a couple of years of trying. Cade Lehman uh, second. And Luke Gretsch-Gumbo. And Luke has already 
flagged. Uh, the car's pulled completely pulled down, and he is coming back at the next round, and he is going to to win it. He's not mm-hmm. a guy self admitted. He cannot come home from a race meeting without he, being the guy he, that gets the flag. He actually qualified with a time that would have had him ninth on the grid for the sports at end race. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, HQ's Rod Rogers uh, took out the broom. I'm going to quote Matt Nolte here. Get out the broom. It's a clean sweep. I, I swear he had the big wide wide broom in the uh, the back of the HQ, but Rogers No one really got near him, did they? No, the last race of the weekend, yes, they did. But in the points, you know, but, in the trophy But they race, didn't no. actually challenge him for to try and get past him. No, no, that's right. Steve Banks was the one that was going to. And uh, our old mate from uh, Saloon Car Ranks, Gavin Ross, was there having a red hot go. He just didn't have what he needed to get there. Yeah, he had, didn't he have overheating dramas in the first race and just because he was in a tow for so long? Correct, yes. He did a head gasket. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that'll say that. So that was uh, round one of the uh, Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships. And if you want to watch any of it, it's on the Blendline TV network. So you can, you can for the next few weeks, uh, look it up and, and have a look at some racing there. Yeah, well, while you were down doing that, uh, Queensland Raceway Drivers' Championship opening round took part at... Um, Queensland Raceway, naturally enough. And for the first time, they used a new layout. Yes, absolutely. The layout uh, means that once you negotiate turn two, you turn right, which you would on one of the other layouts, but instead of turning left onto the net hanger straight and heading back towards turn three, you actually go right again through turns four and five, and then along the straight towards six, but then you take a left and go back up to the hangar straight along it a little way and then turn right back down onto the the, the next straight and then through turns uh, six to finish the lap. It's certainly going to test your shocker, Valving, because the amount of change of direction was... <laughs> I, I was I'm always confused at QR anyway when they go left a screen, right a screen, left a screen, right a screen, but they've managed to make it even more confusing in the middle there. Yeah. So. And also um, on the weekend uh, down at uh, Pheasant Wood Circuit, they've been holding their summer series. The final round of that is next weekend. Uh, that's been interesting with um, any car up to two litres uh, can compete in it. They've had reasonably good feels, but last weekend they had a four-hour race and attracted 17 entries and um, and all took part in a period of a couple of hours, four to be precise. Coming up this weekend in Tassie, the first of the 2023 iterations of the Speed Series, the AWC Race Tasmania, the support categories, Hyundai Excels, Tin Tops. I'm not sure what that is, but let's. Uh, I think they used to run like Target Tin Tops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sports sedans, GT cars, everything. Improved production, yep. uh, whatever, whatever's available in Tasmania for the weekend. And we might yep. uh, see um, those skylines back out. Possibly, possibly, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, Gulf Western uh, Oil Touring Car Masters is on. Um, the S5000 Australian Drivers' Championship for round one. Super Cheap Auto TCR uh, and the uh, National Trans Am Series all make their way down to Simmons Plains, which has become a bit of a traditional event since uh, since the ARG juggernaut has uh, gathered momentum. So uh, good luck to everyone racing down there. That will certainly uh, launch the, the Tasmanian motorsport season in a grand manner. Yeah, and also the um, uh, going into next weekend, the motor, motor events racing, which is um, basically cheap car frills, and they get really good feels. They run extended races, like 20 hours over two days and all that sort of thing. They're at Morgan Park, 
And the following weekend at Morgan Park is the first round of the Queensland Circuit Racing Championships, which is normal the normal motor racing Australia categories. Meanwhile, down at Phillip Island, you've got Sport Porsche Sprint Challenge, uh, along with the New South Wales Super Sports Championship and the Vic Productions Sports. And it'll be interesting to see what turns up for that after <laughs> talking to George. Yeah, George uh, was also, pretty parochial around that, wasn't he? Yeah, um, Mitter Mitter uh, rallies on. Uh, on March 4, and that that's uh, the opening round of the New South Wales State Rally Championship and the Victorian State Rally Championship. So two events there. Also up at uh, around Taree area, the AMSAG 7 Cross Rally Series uh, gets underway as well with their first round. Then at Winton, believe it or not, the New South Wales Motor Racing Championships kicks off on the same weekend. We've got Formula Ford, Sports Sedans, uh, production touring, uh, first round for the Australian Formula Open Series, which um, we're looking for in anticipation. They ran at Phillip Island at Island Magic, their first round. They had 28 cars. So um, there are other categories on that meeting as well. I think there's six categories altogether. So um, that'd be worth keeping an eye on. Also, it's certainly, uh, Gaz, it's, uh, it, it was always going to happen with Wakefield Park embroiled in whatever that's embroiled in now, I don't know. But... Um, uh, it was, I think it's a sensible idea that they pushed down into Winton to yeah. do it. It's not that bad a drive down the Hume to get there. Uh, I know the Victorian series many years ago when we had track issues here as well, we'd go over to Malala for a round. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think the Victorian scene are going to like seeing there is some different categories to what runs in the Victorian state series here. They'll enjoy Winton. It's a good track. It's got lots of sheds and you can be comfortable. The local towns have got plenty of accommodation. So, you yeah. know, it's going to be a good thing. Good eating and drinking as well. Um, <laughs> over in you Western, <laughs> Western Australia at Wanneroo is the first round of the Sporting Car Club Championships. And what do you mean? That wasn't on the weekend? No, no. Despite the fact that you kept telling everyone it was, it actually didn't happen. <laughs> uh, Mount Panorama, we've got the New South Wales Hill Climb Championships, first and second round. First round is from uh, the Light Car Club up to the top of the mount. And the second round on the Sunday is from the crest on Mountain Straight through to the top of the mount. So that's that will be interesting. And they, that's a traditional meeting for them to do that. And, of course, last weekend up there, they had cross-country um, foot races. I'd much rather be in a car than running around on foot up there. And, of course, uh, the WA Off-Road Championship is on at Perinjuri in WA. And uh, the South Australian Motorsport Series is on at the bend. So there's a lot to cover. Well, Gaz, I reckon we've covered just about everything we can from each side of the Pacific here, uh, up and down the Hume and uh, across the across to the west as well. Uh, thanks for joining us for uh, episode 19 of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. It's uh, good night from Daz. And good night from Gaz. You've just listened to another Network Car production. 